right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Get in the car. Get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. I don't want to be late for church. What has gotten into you? We're never on time for church. Quiet woman, sit down. (laughs) Pastor Todd is starting a series on generosity, and I gave him permission to use me as an example for the congregation because I've mastered the essence of generous living. The essence of generous living? I know, right? It's really a God thing that Todd decides to start teaching on this, and I just happen to be the perfect example to point to. This will be so helpful for the congregation. I mean, half of them don't even know what the word generosity means. The other half fell asleep last week while Todd was explaining it to them. So it's a win-win. Hey, son, pay attention. I want you to learn right now generosity is important. That's great, Dad. Yep, good old generosity. Stoplight! Oh, wow. Man, she is really old. Oh, this is unbelievable. If she was going any slower, she'd be going backwards. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go! Honey, calm down. Remember the essence of generosity? Be generous with your time. Forget my time. I'm going to be generous with my help. See all safe and sound. You are unbelievable. Well, thank you, honey. And you're welcome. Talk about ungrateful. Son, were you paying attention right there? It was a perfect example on how to be generous. You're amazing, Dad. Yeah, I know. Oh, hey, looky here is another opportunity for us to be generous. Need help? Lost job, three kids, we'll work for food. Hey, buddy, come here. I think we can help you out. Um, here, hold this. Don't drop it. That bad boy cost me $7. <laughs> All right, I have 17 cents. All right, let's get our change together. Scrounge some up here. Oh, <laughs> hey, look, I found five bucks underneath my seat. A five? Where did that? Give me that. Honey, you should probably give him that. <laughs> sweet, sweet, naive little wife. How do you function out in public exactly? All right, these people like the jingly kind of money. It makes a bigger sound when they rattle around their cup. Oh. <laughs> All right, that's another nickel here. I got two quarters. Oh, do you have something smaller? I could use these for parking this week. Chris, give that to him. Okay, Ooh, generosity. All right, here you go, buddy. 93 cents. Good job. All right, let's get going. Oh, hey, hey, Walmart's got a sale on saltine crackers for 99 cents. You're six cents away from dinner, buddy. Oh, and I'll take that back, too. Mmm, <laughs> pumpkin-y. All right. Man, it feels good to be so generous to people. Son, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, generosity is important. Yep, you're generous. Yep, good old generosity. Oh, hey, watch it, you moron. Did you see that? He cut me off. I'm going to get around and cut him back off. That guy's a nut job. Honey, remember generosity? You need to be generous with your patience. (laughs) This guy should not even be allowed to drive on the road. He's a danger to himself and... Oh, hey, George. Hey, Glenda. (laughs) Hey, honey, look, it's Pastor George. (laughs) No, no, I was just coming up next to you to say, hey, can't wait for your Sunday school class later. (laughs) Go ahead. uh, (laughs) See, now, wasn't that generous? I let him cut back in front of me. Yeah. Son, don't you ever forget. Yeah, 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 generosity, blah, blah, blah. See? It's starting to sink in with him. If you just role model it for the boy, he'll get it eventually. 
He's a little slow, but if you just show him an example, he'll pick it up. Look here, here we are at church. Oh, hey, a handicapped spot right up front. Um, you are seriously not gonna park there. Oh, yes, I am. I'm so embarrassed. What? You're wearing surgical boots or something, aren't you? These are Uggs. <laughs> Close enough. Now, honey, hobble it up. I don't want people to think we're faking it. Oh, let's get in there on our journey to generosity. West Bulls drama team uh, official debut. How'd they do this morning? Yeah. It's like, you know, slowly you guys are going to work your way up to do the whole message on Sunday morning, okay? Like uh, next week, uh, see me. Oh, and Chris, where's Chris Gray, you know? Okay, now, Chris, you're not worthy to hold this towel. I'll hide that here. See, I thought... If I draped it here, you wouldn't hear a word I said this morning. <laughs> well, good morning. How are you? Just like that, we're off, uh, like those folks said, on our journey to generosity. Um, if you're on our mailing list, then in the last week or two, you received uh, this gift from our elders, uh, this uh, booklet. And... Um, it's written by Dr. Brian Kluth, and it's called, uh, You're Invited on a 40-Day Spiritual Journey to a More Generous Life. Now, yes, a more generous life. Now, the idea is, what I'd like to invite you to do, and all of us do as a body, is to work our way through this book beginning today for the next 40 days. It uh, sounds daunting, um, but uh, maybe it ought to be a little bit daunting given the subject matter of uh, generosity, which is a challenge. I know it's a challenge for me. It's broken down into uh, 40 short devotionals, one for each day. If you start today, um, you'll be done uh, Thursday, October 18. So, and I'd love for you to do it uh, as a family if you can. If you have a family devotional time, um, you can use this. If you don't, have a family devotional time. Uh, here's a great way to start. So you're not going to need this booklet uh, at all uh, to bring to church for Sunday morning. Uh, I'm not going to be preaching from it. Um, I'll be doing it along with you, so certainly it may influence uh, some of what uh, I'm going to be talking about. But it's meant as a companion piece uh, to the message. If you didn't get a booklet because uh, it got lost in the mail or if uh, you're visiting or if you're not on our mailing list, I think we have a few extras uh, in the foyer after the service. If we run out, uh, let someone know at the welcome booth, and we'll try to have one for you at least uh, by next week. Um, as an added incentive to work through the booklet, on the final day of this series, October 7, uh, we've got the author coming uh, for Sunday morning with us, uh, Brian Kluth. I got the opportunity to meet him uh, not too long ago. Uh, and we're in for a real treat um, when Brian comes to speak with us. I, um, one of the many things that appealed to me about this booklet is um, that Brian has it in a 40-day um, format. And um, uh, I especially like that because um, that number 40 
uh, is a special number biblically, did you know? It, it almost always in the Bible represents um, a time of training or testing or equipping, um, a very challenging time of training or testing or equipping. And there are many, many such 40s in the Bible. I've got a few uh, just to share with you this morning, and then I'll test you and see once how you do. Uh, how many of these have you heard of? Uh, many, I'm sure, remember the 40 days and 40 nights that rain pelted Noah's ark, uh, Noah and his wife, Joan of Ark. <laughs> and almost, almost everyone remembers uh, Israel eating manna in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you remember what manna means? I, I taught that like two years ago. Someone remembered. Go ahead, say it louder. Yeah, it means what is it? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? The Israelites wandered out of their camp one day in the wilderness. They saw this white stuff on the ground, and one of them looked at the other and said, Mana, which is Hebrew for what is it? And so they ate, what is that, for 40 years? It, very practical language. You know, it's, uh, again, you see it just, they, they call it what it is. Um, and then I'm sure uh, many people also recall Jesus. Uh, Forty days in the wilderness where after he was weak with hunger, uh, the devil came to test him. Uh, all three of those 40s in the Bible um, conveying and even uh, deepening and adding to the meaning of the text even that, hey, heads up, 40 uh, what's going on here uh, is a part of, uh, of God's challenging and testing and training and equipping. How about uh, some of these other uh, challenging 40s in the Bible? Um, how many days did Moses spend fasting on the top of Mount Sinai with God? Take a wild guess. Good, 40. And he did that at least twice. At least twice. Um, Let's stick with Moses. How old was Moses when he had to run for his life into the desert from Egypt after killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand? How old was he? Forty. A challenging time in Moses' life, wasn't it? And how many years later was Moses' life turned upside down again when he stumbled upon a burning bush in the desert and gets sent back to Egypt to confront the most powerful man in the world? How many years later? Take a wild guess. Forty. You guys are good. And how many years later was it that God laid Moses to rest on top of the mountain because due to his disobedience, he was not allowed to enter the promised land? How many years later? Forty. Isn't that fascinating? I, I'm thinking that Moses is probably glad he didn't live to see 160 because there's no telling what would have happened. Um, how about a few harder ones? Um, see what you can learn in church on Sunday mornings, right? Um, when the Israelites finally came into Canaan and went out against Jericho, needing to trust God, not only because the Canaanites were fierce warriors, but because God came up with a military plan of marching around the city seven days, blowing a trumpet. So they needed faith. They, I'm sure their faith was tested. Here we go. How many soldiers were there? Okay, not 40, so it'll just be a little harder. The Bible tells us about 40,000. Well, what a coincidence. 
See, 40 works that way too. Any multiple of 40 counts in a Hebraic Jewish understanding of uh, the text. Certainly a time of testing for God's people. Several years later, during the time of the Judges, sometime next time you read through the book of Judges, look at how many 40-year cycles there are of peace and war, depending on the people's obedience to God. 40 years of peace when they're obedient, 40 years of hassle with the Philistines. 40 years of peace, 40 years of war. 40 years of peace, 40 years of war. Times of God's challenging uh, testing and training uh, and and, uh, equipping. And when Israel finally got her king, isn't it telling that Saul reigned for how long? Take a wild guess. 40 years. And David reigned for how long? 40 years. And Solomon reigned for how long? 40 years before the whole king experiment really failed miserably and the nation was split. Speaking of Saul and David, how many days did Goliath come out to take his stand and taunt and test God's people? How many days? 40 How many days did it take Elijah to run to Mount Sinai after the Mount Carmel incident? See, you're getting tired now because this is insulting my intelligence. The answer is so easy. How many days did he run? 40 days and 40 nights, the text says. Elijah ran a lot. How about another prophet? How many days did Ezekiel have to lay down on his left side to represent Israel's sin? How many days? No, wrong, 390. (laughs) I got you. But to a Hebrew, to a Jew, you see 390 and they'll, they'll think 400 because it's on its way. It's almost there to a, 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 an important biblical number. How about this one? How many days did Elijah have to lay down on his right side to represent Judah's sin? 40 days, not 390. I bet Ezekiel was glad Judah hadn't sinned as long uh, as Israel did. Want some more? (laughs) Sounds like you're falling asleep. Um, How about one more prophet? Jonah shows up in Nineveh. How many days did he say the Ninevites had before God would overturn the city? Here's some 40s surrounding Jesus, and for a few of these, recall what I just mentioned about um, the 390 uh, in Ezekiel, that to a Jew, when you get close to a key biblical number, that's, that's close enough for them to interpret that num- number as having some bearing on the story. Do you ever consider, how old was Jesus when he died? You know, you're, you're 30-something, right? Uh, almost every scholar agrees, but... Um, 30-something, again, in that Jewish way of thinking, he was in his fourth decade of life. So on his way at least to 40, is that a picture there for us in the text, that test that he had on the cross? On his way to the cross, Jesus was whipped how many times? 39, in Roman law, 40 minus 1, because 40 lashes was considered in and of itself a death penalty. Here's one that fascinates me. See what you think. Have you ever added up the hours that Jesus was dead? Not the days. I know three days, but it's the way Jews count days. 
any portion of a day is one day. But if you count the hours, we're told that he died 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. We know his tomb was discovered empty just before dawn on Sunday. We also know that dawn to a Jew was 6 a.m. So 3 p.m. on Friday to 6 a.m. on Sunday is how many hours? Yeah, some of you are getting your apps out, right? <laughs> how many hours? Yeah, 39 hours, 40. So Jesus was dead for 40 hours. I'd say he passed the test of death quite well, amen? And how many days was he with his disciples after the resurrection speaking to them? How many days? 40, fancy that. Probably just a coincidence, right? There's a shining example of an equipping time, uh, 40 in the Bible, I think. Okay. All of that, um, just to invite you, encourage you, challenge you, um, I would really, really think it would honor God if uh, many of us at least as a community, hey, all of us, um, take this 40-day journey on this challenging topic of generosity, because it is a challenge, as we'll see in a minute. Um, that journey, a journey to generosity, it really requires more than a few Sunday mornings listening to me. It, um, it requires a time of uh, testing uh, and training and equipping, I think, uh, for you and your household. And if you do that and invest it, um, see what God will do. Before we um, begin on our journey to generosity, um, where is it exactly we're heading? Um, what is generosity? One definition of generosity that I came across um, is this. Generosity is showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Generosity is showing a readiness to give more of something than is necessary or expected. And if you do a word study of generosity in English and in Greek, you'll always find um, another pack of words closely associated with it. One is kindness, uh, and the other is benevolence. And benevolence is interesting because its root uh, comes from the same root as the word grace. And we'll see the role that grace plays uh, in our text this morning in just a minute. I've um, shortened the definition a bit. That one's a little bit too long uh, for me to remember. So I've, I've shortened the definition to simply um, a spirit of giving or a giving spirit. We know we're in the presence of someone who's generous when their spirit um, just exudes a, a giving uh, and a willing uh, to, to give over and to, and to give. Generosity is um, a, a spirit of giving. And um, I wanted to spend some time on this topic because it's one of those foundational things that as believers in Christ, we are necessarily on this journey uh, toward a spirit of giving. The Bible tells us we're to strive toward a spirit of giving. And, and, and let me say this up front. Um, this involves so much more, something so much deeper 
than only our money. Uh, when you get into Dr. Kluse's booklet, uh, you'll see that his booklet, uh, its primary focus is on money as one example of generosity. And I'll let the booklet uh, handle that in large part. And Dr. Kluth uh, has some amazing stories and some amazing advice, excellent advice, uh, on money in particular on October 7. But the primary focus of the sermon series on generosity is something much broader and much deeper than what we do with our money. Oh, it includes our money. Our money will get swept along with it if um, it's something, as we'll see by God's grace, uh, uh, He transforms us into becoming. But it includes so much more. As followers of Christ, uh, we strive to, de uh, to develop a biblical, uh, Christ-like spirit of giving. And as soon as we talk about a Christ-like spirit of giving, that means we're on a journey toward a spirit of giving of ourselves. And my brothers and sisters, we are so much more than our money, praise God. It's a spirit of giving of ourselves, all that we are, all that we have. That's the journey uh, that we're on. Please um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's turn to God's Word and see what He has to say about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, any number of passages I could have used, but uh, I chose this uh, chapter, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, actually chapters 8 and 9, um, of all the letters that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote, this one is the longest sustained section, two full chapters, some feel are repetitive, but Paul's probably doing something there structurally, but it's the longest sustained words that we have from God through the Apostle Paul on this topic uh, of generosity. And so let's hear what God has to say. I'll begin reading um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 1. Paul is speaking to the early church in Corinth, and um, he's also speaking to us uh, this morning, too. Let's listen. And now, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What a verse. In the midst of a very severe trial, they had overflowing joy, and you go, what? And then Paul notes that that joy was matched up with extreme poverty, and we go, what? And that combination of trial and overflowing joy and extreme poverty, guess what it produces? Rich generosity? Say what? There's where you see that generosity really is independent of money. You can be the most, uh, you can have the most vibrant, alive spirit of giving about you and not have a single dime. It's not dependent on money. For I testify, Paul uh, continues, that they gave 
as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. And then this excites Paul. So, so we urged Titus, one of Paul's disciples, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, Corinthian church. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And biblical testing, it needs to hit our ears different than what we as students heard when we hear a test. Oh, I gotta take a test, but I've gotta pass. And if I don't pass it, I fail. It's not the push behind the biblical idea of test. A test, a test is uh, an opportunity to witness and to show the love of God in you. It's the opportunity that an Olympic diver has to show what she can do. It's that kind of test. A test is an opportunity. So I'm not commanding you, but I want to give you the opportunity. Show the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, now we know this is deeper than money because Jesus didn't have any or much. By all accounts, he was poor among the poorest. That though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, last year you were the first not only to give, but you're the first to have the desire to do so. So now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. And then Paul quotes from that manna text in Exodus 16, I think. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the very Word of God, not Dr. Kluth's book, but this one. Amen? We'll make, um, I have seven stops planned on our journey, uh, not this morning yet, but uh, over the next four weeks. You can see uh, those steps uh, listed on the screen. They all start with the letter S, which just brings joy to my teaching heart. Maybe, um, maybe they'll be easier for us to remember that way. I should use one of George's acrostics and spell the word, but uh, I'm not very good at that. But I used all S's. 
Um, and so our first stop on the journey, uh, I think, needs to be the first stop, or at least the first stop of all. And that's a stop that um, I'm calling submit. Say, so what do I mean by that? My friends, in order to have any success uh, at all in becoming generous as the Bible describes it, we are to submit ourselves and all we have to the Lord. And we see the importance and priority of this stop on a journey to generosity from our text this morning. Paul writes of the generous Macedonians that they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And when they did that, that opened the way for them to have this spirit of giving. And it was only possible because they submitted themselves and all they had, first of all, to the Lord. And I think the idea of that and how that happens and why that happens is plain to see. You know, if we can only find that perspective that nothing, nothing truly belongs to us, not even our own lives, if we could truly, in a day-by-day way, have that full realization, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, my goodness, I learned that when I was in fourth grade, and it's pounding its way into my head right now. The first question and answer, what is my only comfort in life and death, the Catechism goes, the answer is that I am not my own but I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If we could only capture that perspective in our day-by-day living, and it's one so hard to come by, but if we can capture that perspective, barriers to having a spirit of giving is gone because if we have nothing, if... Ultimately, it's not ours at all. It all belongs to God. Well, then, what we really get to give isn't even ours. It's like God. It's God's. It's like, um, how much fun is it to spend someone else's money? Isn't that fun? How many would rather spend someone else's money than your own money? The more... The more the better, right? See, if we can live with that perspective that even our very lives are not our own, let alone anything we have, it's all God's, then everything we do, all our time, all our talent, everything we do, we're not even spending, we're not even using up our own life. It's on God. It's God's life through us that we're spending. If only we can have that perspective This past March, many of you remember, the largest jackpot in American lottery history was given out. You remember the amount? Yeah, see, some of you know, but you don't want anybody to know that you do the lottery. (laughs) $656 million. Can you imagine? What would you do with $656 million? Think about it, just right now. Someone gives you walking out the door to church, it's not gonna happen. 
It's going to be a stampede to be out first. Maybe they, uh, no. Walking out church, someone gives you $656 million. Here you go. How are, now there's a man, uh, we're taking elder nominations. He said, pay off the debt of West Bowles Church. Amen. You know what? I think that'd be the first thing that I would do too, brother, if I won $656 million. If I won $600 million, maybe not the first thing. But <laughs> What would you do with that? How would it make you feel? Here's $656 million. How would it make you feel? Would you be like, <gasps> Now, I realize if you use the, 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 the cash payout option, it's only $474 million. But still, what would you do with that money? Can you imagine? See, now here's the thing, and here's the perspective that the world and the devil pushes against and keeps us from fully realizing. You've already been given that and more in Christ Jesus. Do we even realize that? Well, we have. You've been given so much that 656 million is rubbish. Can you imagine what comparable gift to 656 million would make you think, I don't even want that. It's like a nuisance. You've been given life. We're aware. We can look around and talk and we can laugh when Chris almost kills someone going down the stage. There's joy and there's love and there's beautiful sunrises and sunsets and there's family and there's friends and yeah, there's all this stuff too that we can enjoy but there, and there's eternal life in Christ Jesus with God forever. Now let me ask you, or maybe it's just me and if it's just me, pray for me. Pray for me anyway. Pray for me anyway. Why don't we feel that to that level of excitement on a daily basis, even a monthly basis, even a yearly basis? Why don't we feel that level of excitement that we would if walking out this door someone gave us $656 million? The question for believers in Christ Jesus is not what would you do with $656 million. The question is, what will you do with something infinitely more that you already have? <laughs> it's not yours. It's a windfall. It's only by God's grace. Do you hear? Paul uses the word grace four times in the first nine verses. Grace, 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 grace. In case you miss it, chapter nine, two more times. Grace, grace. My friends, in Christ Jesus, you won the big one. Jackpot. Can I at least have an amen? I mean, do you feel it? You push against me. And some of you are like, yeah, I just, you know, I was trying to get some passion out of me. I don't do it. (laughs) 
Yeah, at least it's a kind of passion when you see this, not the kind I'm after or the kind that God's after. Where's that joy of, oh my God, I won the jackpot. What am I going to do with all I've been given in Christ Jesus? Don't. Damn the devil for taking that away from us. That sense. <sighs> oh my goodness, we've won the big one. And now for the time we have here, we get to spend it. Wow. What are we going to do with your life? What are you going to do? It's not your money, it's God's. It's not your life, it's God's. It's a lot of fun to do that with someone else's. See, if we can get that perspective and fully, fully give themselves, fully give ourselves first of all to the Lord, boy, that takes a barrier down and opening a way for us to accept God's grace that enables us, Paul says in another place, to experience the transforming of our minds, transforming of our perspective, so that we can indeed offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and experience what is true worship, Oh, our stuff gets in the way and our sense of so many barriers. One barrier in the time that I have left that we'll talk about. Here's one barrier for me. I don't always feel how badly I need to submit myself to the Lord because I feel pretty self-sufficient. A friend of mine um, sent me an article this pa past week telling me about, um, the article talks about how, um, in the opinion of the author, technology, for example, can lead to a sense of self-sufficiency and become a barrier into our submitting ourselves and giving ourselves fully over to God. Here's what he says. See what you think. The internet. The internet robs us of our sense of our own ignorance and limitations. Space for questioning and pondering is replaced by immediate fact-finding. We feel like we possess the power of gods. I mean, you know how powerful your tablets or your little smartphones are? I said this a few months ago. You go on a time machine, you don't have to pick too far ago, but the farther back you go, you show up with this baby, you're going to be worshipped as a god. You would be. I mean, you want an answer to something, right? You Google it. Capital of Uganda. Boom. Final score of the Denver Broncos-Pittsburgh Steelers game. Pittsburgh 27, Broncos 20. Whoop, whoop, it's right there. Every once in a while, I like to test in my discernment, see if I have a, the gift of prophecy, so we'll find 27-20. I mean, 
Remember, you're going to punish the Broncos for trading Tebow away, right? <laughs> this is the team that traded Tebow, God. Okay, sorry. Don't you wish, do you find yourself sometimes wishing that God was like uh, Google? Google God. Google God. Sometimes he answers prayer immediately. Last night, Shar couldn't find her stuff for her Awana leadership meeting. She'd looked for it for a long time, so in the office, I just said, hey, Shar, let me say a quick prayer. Shar, uh, Father, please help Shar find this. It's important to her. Two minutes later, she texted me from her car, I found it. Do I think that was a coincidence? Absolutely not. But there are many, many times, isn't it? And the Bible speaks to this too, that we're to wait patiently on the Lord. Do you think this thing gets in the way sometimes of us waiting patiently on the Lord? GPS, he writes, robs us of any sense of being lost. We always know where we are and how to get anywhere we want. Mobile phones make us feel always connected, mediated through our personal screens. Time to be just ourselves, alone with our thoughts, has evaporated. Credit gives us the power to get what we want, when we want it, with, in the short term, Apparently, no cost to us. The world is open to us, wanting us with open arms while wanting our business anyway. In short, he sums up, we feel sufficient. Some people would argue that this is a good thing, allowing technology to wean us off our outdated God dependency. But what is ancient is not always outdated and what is contemporary is not always the better version, and I would add, Christ-like version of ourselves. First step, first step by God's grace, which we still need to accept. And once we can accept God's grace, when we remove some barriers in our lives, a barrier being that I'm self-sufficient, a barrier that, you know, I, I, I don't need God, a barrier that I belong to myself and what I do with my life is my business and my choices are my choices and I have my rights and it's my stuff and it's my decision and it's my... And God reaches through that, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And he helps us see his light in a way that we can just, oh, let me just give it all over to you. What a relief. And now once you have it, I get to spend your life and your money, God. Woo! First stop on our journey to generosity is uh, submit. Second one is study. I'll just say this about that, and I'll let you go. Um, I hadn't planned to say a lot about study this morning because really we'll be covering the study spot uh, each and every week of this series. Study what? Study the Scriptures on generosity. Study the Scriptures on generosity. You know, I read this past week 
that God gave us more than 2,000 verses. 2,000. And what was the list? Finances, generosity, and material possessions. 2,000 verses. And he gave all these verses to teach us how he wants us to feel and to think and to act when it comes to who we are and what we have. And so we'll be making that stop each and every week with all these others of studying the Scriptures on what it means to arrive and to journey on this journey toward generosity. You'll notice in your bulletins this week and every week more passages listed than I'll have time for on a Sunday morning. I'll continue to do that for your benefit and further study. Um, Take the bulletin home if you have uh, devotional time or even later in the day. Read those verses. I think you'll find after the message in the morning those verses will pop um, uh, some more for you, so I'll continue to do that. First two stops on our journey to generosity, submit and study. Submit ourselves and all we have to the Lord and study the Scriptures on generosity. So this week, as you reflect on that, um, Start on your booklets, and then uh, next week, God's guide will have us stop at uh, two more places on our journey, places I'm calling see and uh, set aside. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the opportunity we have before us to enter a challenging time of training and testing and equipping on an oh-so-important, important issue of generosity and a spirit of giving. Father, we want to become more like your Son, your only Son, who gave all of himself and all he had even when he didn't have to give any of it because he didn't deserve to die. Father, we want to be like that. We want to be like that in our relationship before you and our marriages with our children, with friends and family. We want to be like that as this family of God Continue to mold us and build on the wonderful foundations of generosity you have in the lives of these people that I've gotten to know these past few years as my brothers and sisters, that we, as your witness of who you are, boy, that church, that church has a spirit of giving. Help us, Father, to clear away any barriers, whether ones I've mentioned or ones that you know all too well and each individual here are in the way in the way of us submitting, first of all, all we are and all we have to you. Would you give us the grace, allow us to accept the grace like you did in the Macedonian churches and presumably, hopefully, in the Corinthian church as well, in the other church. Would you give us the grace to be able to truly submit to you and to gain that perspective that we're spending your money your life, your time, and not our own. And Father, I just want to praise you again and thank you for giving us your guide, the Bible. The author 
of the acronym for Bible is anonymous, but God, I'm sure you know who he is, but whoever came up with the Bible being basic instructions before leaving earth, (laughs) thank you for giving us this guide, this inspired word. Help us, Father, to live by the light that it sheds if we would only look and study. Bless this time in your word on our journey to generosity. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction? Here's some words from a different letter of the Apostle Paul. I could have preached the same message on this passage. See if you can find the pieces of grace and the pieces of submitting yourselves fully to the Lord with a new perspective. See if you can find the pieces of the message in this word from the Apostle Paul as well, from the book of Romans, where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day, West Bulls. Love you guys.